Good morning and welcome to the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily number 96. It is Friday, April 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and three weeks and counting. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J tech.com. All right, happy Friday, TGIF. If you're listening to this, please like, review, share, comment, whatever you could do on your podcast platform of choice. We really appreciate it. Um, We'll send you a shout out if you do it and let us know because it's kind of hard to monitor all of them. Um, And then if you are in a HIPAA compliant business, whether it's a business associate or a covered entity, please go to Facebook in the search, type in get HIPAA compliance, join the group and learn lots of HIPAA stuff for free. It's for free in that group. Um, And three weeks and counting. So I have been now, this is the start of week four today of pretty much quarantine. Um, Kids have been off from school since this since friday the 13th ironically and um i've been here other than grocery store runs we've i've been in the home office the whole time so good news is i'm capable more than capable of doing everything i need to do from here but it is three weeks and counting today well technically it's start of week four what do we have in the news um first of all the so you know what? We'll get to the Zoom stuff in a minute. Um, threat posts, 44 million digital wallet items exposed in key ring cloud misconfig. So millions of IDs, charge cards, loyalty cards, gift cards, medical marijuana, ID cards, and personal information was left exposed to the open internet. Key ring, creator of digital wallet app used by 14 million people across North America, has exposed 44 million IDs, charge cards, loyalty cards, gift cards, and membership cards to the open internet, researchers say. The Keyring app allows users to upload scans and photos of various physical cards into a digital folder on a user's phone. While Keyring is primarily designed for storing membership cards for loyalty programs, users also store more sensitive cards on the app. According to research team at VPN Mentor, it found 44 million scans exposed in a misconfigured cloud database that included government IDs, retail, retail club membership, and loyalty cards, NRI member, NRA membership cards, gift cards, credit cards, with all details exposed, including CVV numbers, medical insurance cards, and medical marijuana ID cards, among others. VPN Mentor said that it found a total of five misconfigured Amazon Web Services S3 cloud databases owned by the company. These could have revealed millions of these uploads to anyone with a web browser, thanks to a lack of password protection on the buckets. The company said also every file could also be downloaded and stored offline. ThreatPost reached out to Keyring's media team multiple times over the last few days for a comment or reaction to the findings with no response, and will update this post with any additional information should the company eventually respond. Um, So yes, once again, an S3 database misconfigured, and I still don't get how how biz, how large companies like this are doing that when it's very simple to, to secure an S3 database. As a matter of fact, by default, it's not left open to the public. So, um, The Hacker News reports mage cart hackers inject iframe skimmers in 19 sites to steal payment data. So this attack continues to, to make the rounds, but cybersecurity researchers today uncovered an ongoing new mage cart skimmer 
campaign that so far has successfully compromised at least 19 e-commerce websites to steal payment card details of their customers. According to a report published today and shared with the Hacker News, Risk IQ researchers spotted a new digital skimmer dubbed MakeFrame that injects HTML iframes into web pages to fish payment data. MakeFrame attacks have been attributed to MageCart Group 7 for its approach of using the compromised sites to host a skimming code, load the skimmer on, an, on other compromised websites, and siphon off the stolen data. MageCart attacks usually involve bad actors compromising a company's online store to siphon credit card numbers and account details of users who's making purchases on an infected site by placing malicious JavaScript skimmers on payment forms. It's the latest in a series of attacks by MageCart, an umbrella term for eight different hacking groups, all of which are focused on stealing credit card numbers for financial gain. So um, let me see if it lists the sites here, and it does not. So if uh, you know, I w I'm right now, I would just limit the sites you go to. Maybe uh, it does list a few of them, but um, maybe just go to the the big markets like you know the Amazons and the the major stores, and avoid lesser known e-commerce sites because this is a growing trend, and I. I don't believe it's going to, to slow down anytime soon. Um, WordPress plugin bug, this is on Bleeping Computer, WordPress plugin bug can be exploited to create rogue admins. Owners of WordPress sites who use the Contact Form 7 Date Picker plugin are urged to remove or deactivate it to prevent attackers from creating rogue admins or taking over admin sessions after exploiting an, an authenticated stored cross-site scripting vulnerability. Contact Form 7 Date Picker is no longer maintained. Plugin designed to integrate with and add a date field to the user interface of the Contact Form 7 WordPress plugin, a Contact Form management plugin installed on over 5 million websites. Now, the Date Picker is only installed in about 100,000 websites. So, However, Contact Form 7 is not impacted in any way by the cross-site scripting vulnerability found in Contact Form 7 Date Picker. Picker. Therefore, the millions of sites currently using it are safe. Uh, the plugin was removed from the repository, so if you are using it, remove it from your site um, because you are vulnerable. IRS, uh, bleeping computer, IRS warns of surge in economic stimulus payment scams. The IRS today, we've, we've got a few warnings from, well, we got one from IRS and one from FBI, and I'll get to the FBI. Well, we have two from the FBI. I'll get to those in a minute. The IRS today issued a warning to alert about a surge in coronavirus-related scams over email, phone calls, or social media requesting personal information while using economic impact payments as a lure. The scam wave that can lead to identity theft and tax-related fraud is using the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic to trick vulnerable targets into giving away their sensitive info in exchange for help to speed up the COVID-19 economic payment impact payments. We urge people to take extra care during this period. The IRS isn't going to call you asking to verify or provide your financial information so you can get an economic impact payment or your refund faster. Um, they more than likely have your checking account information, so I wouldn't even just hang up. That also applies to surprise emails that appear to be coming from the IRS. Remember, don't open them or click on attachments or links. Go to irs.gov for the most up-to-date information. Cisco Talis said on March 30th that it has already detected an increase in suspicious stimulus-based domains being registered and staged for COVID-19 relief package-themed attacks. So I will tell you, at this point, if you're buying a domain, 
around COVID-19 and around these scams, I wouldn't. The reason I say that is because there's a good chance it could be taken down, even if you have, even if you bought it for um, legitimate reasons. You know, I don't know what they would be at this point, but legitimate reasons, they may take it down anyway. So I would not even waste your time buying anything around COVID-19 at this point. Uh, COVID-19 economic impact payments are going to be distributed within the next three weeks. All those scammers will promise to get the deposit in your bank's account a lot faster. And I've heard it's going to be longer than three weeks for some. So also keep that in mind. FBI warns of attacks on remote work distance learning platforms. Also on bleeping computers. So the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, issued a public service announcement today about the risk of attacks exploiting the increased usage of online communication platforms for remote working and distance learning caused by the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. The FBI says that it's expecting an acceleration of exploitation attempts of virtual communication environments used by government agencies, private organizations, and individuals as a direct result of the COVID-19 outbreak. Computer systems and virtual environments provide essential communication services for telework and education in addition to conducting regular business, IC3's PSA said. Cyber actors exploit vulnerabilities in these systems to steal sensitive information, target individuals, and businesses performing financial transactions and engage in extortion. FBI's warning mentions over 1,200 complaints related to coronavirus scams being received and reviewed since March 30th with threat actors engaging so that's only you know three days ago engaging in phishing campaigns targeting first responders launching distributed denial of services attacks against government agencies deployed ransomware on healthcare facilities as well as creating fake COVID-19 landing pages to be used in attacks with that infect victims devices with malware in early February the FBI issued a private industry notification informing of a potential DDoS attack that targeted a state-level voter registration and information site. During late March, a PSA published on IC3 platform warned of a series of phishing attacks delivering spam that used fake government economic stimulus checks as a lure to steal personal information from victims. So the, the attacks are on the rise all across the board. We really need to uh, remain vigilant. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. Um, so you need to, you, you really need to uh, remain vigilant. You really need to keep yourself educated. One one way to keep yourself educated is to listen to this podcast. But there are websites that, just look for cybersecurity news websites. Bleeping Computer is a great site. ZDNet will have some stuff. Um, there's, a, there's a, you know, even if you go to the CISA's website, us-cert.gov slash NCAS slash current dash activity, and just follow the stuff on there, they will occasionally warn you as well. So... Um, just just be very careful about anything that help, promises to help you if it's not coming from a legitimate source. And you didn't, if you didn't ask, if you didn't make the initial inquiry, I would just avoid it completely. All right, so we're going to talk about Zoom for a few minutes here. Um, Zoom has really, really been so it took off. It's it's uh, I don't remember the numbers, and maybe I'll come across it as we're going through this. But they took off in the last few weeks because we're all working from home now. And so I've been using Zoom for years and it is a great tool. It's a very useful tool and there's a lot you can do with it. And there's been documented vulnerability after vulnerability in the last few days. Um, I've gotten text messages with concerns. 
about different things, um, phone calls about concerns with different things. And there are ways to mitigate the risk, like adding a password to your meetings, not sharing the meetings publicly, using the waiting room and all of those things. Here's, um, here's what I'll tell you. They experienced growth like they did not expect. And it was fast. It was furious. And they didn't know. They weren't prepared to handle it. So, yes, vulnerabilities were discovered. A lot of them have already been fixed. Um, so if you have Zoom, make sure you update it, whatever platform, what, on whatever, pl- it doesn't matter which platform you're using it on, update it, Windows, Android, iOS, Apple, Mac, whatever, update it immediately um, because they are pushing out updates and then we're going to talk about their plan going forward. Um, but the FBI releases guidance on defending against F- uh, VTC hijacking and Zoom bombing. Um and this is on the CISA's website. The Federal Bureau of Investigation has released an article on defending against video teleconferencing, which is VTC for short, hijacking, revert, referred to as Zoom bombing, when attackers are when attacks are to the Zoom VTC platform. Many organizations and individuals increasingly dependent on VTC platforms such as Zoom and Microsoft Teams to stay connected during coronavirus disease, 2019, COVID-19 for short, of course, pandemic. The FBI has released this guidance in response to an increase in reports of VTC hijacking. The Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency encourages users and administrators to review the FBI article as well as the following steps to improve VTC cybersecurity. So here's what they have. Ensure meetings are private either by requiring a password for entry or controlling guest access from a waiting room. Consider security requirements when selecting vendors. For example, if end-to-end encryption is necessary, does the vendor offer it? So that was one of the things that also came up with Zoom, that they don't have end-to-end encryption. Ensure VTC software is up-to-date. Um, so they pushed an update today, Zoom did. Make sure you update on Windows. I'm not sure if the other platforms updated, um, but on Windows. And I think I'm, I'm almost positive there was one for Mac as well. Um, so let's look at the FBI's guidelines. Uh, FBI warns of teleconferencing and online classroom hijacking during COVID-19 pandemic as large numbers of people turn to video conferencing platforms to stay connected in the wake of COVID-19 crisis. Reports of VTC hijacking, also called Zoom bombing, are emerging nationwide. The FBI has received multiple reports of conferences being disrupted by pornographic and or hate images and threatening language. Within the FBI Boston Division's area of responsibility, which includes Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island, two schools in Massachusetts reported the following incidents. In late March 2020, a Massachusetts-based high school reported that while a teacher was conducting an online class using the teleconferencing software Zoom, an unidentified individual dialed into the classroom. This individual yelled a profanity and then shouted the teacher's home address in the middle of the instruction. A second Massachusetts-based school reported a Zoom meeting being accessed by an unidentified individual. In this incident, the individual was visible on the video camera and displayed swastika tattoos. As individuals continue to transition to online lessons and meetings, FBI recommends exercising due diligence and caution in your cybersecurity efforts. The following steps can be taken to mitigate teleconferencing hijacking threats. Do not make meetings or classrooms public. In Zoom, there are two options to make meeting private. Require meeting password, and that can be anything you want it to be, or use the waiting room feature and control the admittance of guests. Do not share a link to teleconference or classroom on an unrestricted publicly available social media post. Provide the link directly to specific people. And this is so this is what some people are doing now. They're asking for an RSVP before they provide the information. Manage screen sharing options and Zoom will change screen sharing to host only. 
ensure users are using the updated version of remote access meeting applications. In January 2020, Zoom updated their software, and so they updated it again today for Windows and I believe for Mac as well. And their security update to teleconference software provider added passwords by default for meetings and disabled the ability to randomly scan for meetings to join. Lastly, ensure that your organization's telework policy or guide addresses requirements for physical and information security. And then, of course, if you experience any of these hijackings, you should report it to the IRS. I mean, to the FBI. Sorry, don't report it to the IRS. That's probably a waste of time. Um, we have a message from Zoom on their blog. So we're going to go through that to our Zoom users around the world, whether you're a global corporation that needs to maintain business continuity, a local government agency working to keep your community functioning, a school teacher educating students remotely, or a friend that wants to host a happy hour to spark some joy while social distancing you are all managing through unique challenges brought upon this global health crisis. During this time of isolation, we at Zoom feel incredibly privileged to be in a position to help you stay connected. Now, Zoom, I read somewhere else where Zoom says that their target audience was enterprise businesses. So I don't think they intended for this explosion. Now, again, I've said I'm not an enterprise business. I've said for a long time, I said that I've been using Zoom for years in, in different aspects. Um, so obviously anybody can use it, but their target audience was enterprise businesses. We also feel an immense responsibility. Usage of Zoom has ballooned overnight, far surpassing what we expected when we first announced our desire to help in late February. This includes over 90,000 schools across 20 countries that have taken us up on our offer to help children continue their education remotely. To put this growth in context, as of end of December last year, the maximum number of daily meeting participants, both free and paid, conducted on Zoom was approximately 10 million. That is a huge number. In March this year, we reached more than 200 million. So think about that for a minute. 200 million daily, daily meeting participants, both free and paid. We have been working around the clock to ensure that all our users, new and old, large and small, can stay in touch and operational. For the past several weeks, supporting this influx of users has been a tremendous undertaking and our sole focus. We have strived to provide you with uninterrupted service and the same user-friendly experience that has made Zoom the video conferencing platform of choice for enterprises around the world, while also ensuring platform safety, privacy, and security. However, we, we, however, we recognize that we have fallen short of, this, of the community's and our own privacy and security expectations. For that, I am deeply sorry and I want to share what we are doing about it. So this is the CEO of, of Zoom. First, some background. Our platform was built primarily for enterprise customers, so I did read that somewhere. Large institutions with full IT support. These range from world's largest financial services companies to leading telecommunications providers, government agencies, universities, healthcare organizations, and telemedicine practices. Thousands of enterprises around the world have done exhaustive security reviews of our user network and data center layers and confidently selected Zoom for complete deployment. However, we did not design the product with a foresight that in a matter of weeks, every person in the world would suddenly be working, studying, and socializing from home. We now have a much broader set of users who are utilizing our product in a myriad of unexpected ways, presenting us with challenges we did not anticipate when the platform was conceived. These new mostly consumer use cases have helped us uncover unforeseen issues with our platform. Dedicated journalists and security researchers have also helped to identify pre-existing ones. We appreciate the scrutiny and questions we have been getting about how the service works. 
about how our infrastructure and capacity and about our privacy and security policies. These are questions that will make Zoom better, both as a company and for all its users. We take them extremely seriously. We are looking into each and every one of them and addressing them as expeditiously as we can. We are committed to learning about them and doing better in the future. But before I lay out how we intend to improve, I want to share what we have done so far. With the flood of new users, part of the challenge is ensuring that we provide the proper training tools and support to help them understand their account features and how best to use the platform. We've been offering training sessions and tutorials as well as free interactive daily webinars to users. We have proactively sent out many of these resources to help familiarize users with Zoom. We are taking several steps to minimize customer support and wait times when they reach out with questions. We are listening to the community of users to help us evolve and our approach. We have also worked hard to actively and quickly address specific issues and questions that have been raised. On March 20th, we published a blog post to help users address incidents of harassments or so-called Zoom bombing on our platform to, by clarifying the protective features that can help prevent this, such as waiting rooms, passwords, muting controls, and limiting screen sharing. We've also changed the name and content of that blog post, which originally referred to uninvited participants as party crashers. Given the more serious and hateful types of attacks that have since emerged, that terminology clearly doesn't suffice. We absolutely condemn these types of attacks and deeply feel for anyone whose meeting has been interrupted in this way. On March 27th, we took action to remove the Facebook SDK in our iOS client and have reconfigured it to prevent it from, from collecting unnecessary device information from our users. March 29th, we updated our privacy policy to be more clear and transparent around what data we collect and how it is used, explicitly clarifying that we do not sell our users' data and we have never sold user data in the past and have no intention of selling users' data going forward. For education users, we rolled out a guide for administration administrators on setting up virtual classroom, set up a guide on how to better secure their virtual classrooms, set up a dedicated K-12 privacy policy, change the settings for education user, users enrolled in our K-12 program, so virtual waiting rooms are on by default. Change the settings for education users enrolled in our K-12 program so that teachers by default are the only ones who can share content in class. On April 1st, we published a blog clarifying the facts around encryption on our platforms, acknowledging and apologizing, apologizing for the confusion, permanently removed the attendee attention tracker feature, updated 4.2 to clarify that it's permanently removed, released fixes for both Mac-related issues raised by Patrick Wardle, released a fix for the UNC link issue, and permanently removed the LinkedIn Sales Navigator app after identifying unnecessary data disclosed by the feature, updated 4.2 to clarify that it is permanently removed. What we're going to do over the next 90 days, we are committed to de dedicating the resources needed to better identify, address, and fix issues proactively. We are also committed to being transparent through this process. We want to do what it takes to maintain your trust. This includes enacting a feature freeze effectively immediately and shifting all of our engineering resources to focus on the biggest trust, safety, and privacy issues, conducting a comprehensive review and third-party experts with third-party experts and representative users to understand and ensure the security of all of our new consumer use cases, preparing a transparency report that details information related to requests for data records or content, enhancing our current bug bounty program, launching a CISO council in partnership with leading CISOs from across the industry to facilitate an ongoing dialogue regarding security and privacy best practices, engaging a series of simultaneous white box penetration tests to further identify and address issues. And starting next week, I will host weekly webinar for, we for on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. 
specific time to provide privacy and security updates to our community. Transparency has always been a core part of our culture. I'm committed to being open and honest with you about our areas where we are strengthening our platform and areas where users can take steps of their own to best use to protect themselves on the platform. We welcome our continued questions and encourage you to provide us with feedback. Our chief concern now and always is making users happy and ensuring that our safety, privacy, and security of our platform is worthy of the trust you have put in us. Together, let's build something that could truly make the world a better place. And that is signed by Eric S. Yan, founder and CEO of Zoom. So I think uh, that's, that's a good step forward. And obviously, they've fixed a lot of the issues. And um, I, when, when the, the concerns were brought to me about Zoom and people using Zoom, and I've recommended Zoom numerous times now, I can't even, I can't even tell you how many times now, um, and some of those people came back to me and with concerns, and uh, so I told them to, the concerns will get addressed, and um, they'll move forward. It's a big company; they would they would be foolish not to address it at this point. So, if you still have concerns with Zoom, you can switch to Microsoft Teams. It basically can can do the same thing. There are other platforms out there, but they're just you know Zoom has handled the dramatic growth. Um, from 10 million to 200 million daily participants and done it well. I have not had any issues with Zoom as far as usage goes since this whole, since the pandemic began. So, you know, kudos to Zoom, kudos to the CEO for, for putting this out there. It's, uh, it's growing pains and that's what it is and they're fixing it and they're fixing it fast. So you, you have to, uh, you have to give them credit for that. That is going to do it for this episode of the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily. So until Monday, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.